0: Well, good morning. So glad that you could join us this morning. My name is Steve. I'm the lead pastor here. Glad you could be with us this morning. So whether you're uh, here with me in screen one or my peeps over in screen two, what's up? Good to see you guys. Or you're joining us online. Thank you so much uh, for being here today. Um, we are going to be continuing in our sermon series in the book of Matthew. And today we're going to be jumping into uh, chapter 14 today. And what we've been seeing in chapters 13 and 14 14 is All the way leading up to this, Jesus comes to this earth. He's a king like none other. He's got a kingdom like none other. And people are responding to this and that the kingdom of heaven is available for all people. It's an amazing truth. And and what we've been seeing now, especially in chapters 13 and 14, um, the kingdom of heaven is gonna get into sharper focus, okay? Our understanding of what the kingdom is like and who the king is will become much, much more clear during chapters 13 and 14. And the thing about clarity And people always want clarity, which is really good. But sometimes, like the the reality is, is when we want clarity, we have now the opportunity to go, clearly I want to be involved in this, or clearly I do not. Okay, And that's what we've been seeing, is people clearly saying, I'm going to put my faith in Jesus. And other people saying, clearly I'm going to reject Jesus. And so that's what we're going to be seeing in chapters we did in 13. We're going to see it even more in 14, as we talk about our sermon today. Um, Last week, last week was a big week for um, Ignite. Um, Ignite turned 10 years old, which was awesome. We celebrated our 10th birthday as a church, which is incredible. Also, which is really fun for me, is Ignite and me uh, share a birthday. So last Saturday was my birthday. Last Saturday was a big birthday for me, I've been told. Um, I don't uh, remember because of my age, but... um, no, I actually, I turned 40 last, last Saturday, and uh, so I survived, which is pretty cool, I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan of that, um, but I turned 40, and so people would say things like, oh, you're over the hill, right, or, or they'd come up to me, try to console me, and I go, you know, forty's the new 30, whatever that means, I'd... I don't know, but um, also, uh, the, they also said, you know, now might be the time that you start covering up your gray in your beard, or the gray that's starting to come in on the sides. You know, you might want to take a look at that. So, am I over the hill? I, maybe. Is 40 to do 30? I hope not, honestly. Um, 30 was cool and all. I'd rather be 40. Um, and, uh, and I actually enjoy getting older. I like, I, I like surviving. I, I'm a big fan of that. I like getting gray hair. Um, I like uh, having that along, and hopefully with that comes wisdom. That's what, that's what my hope and prayer is in that, but I have noticed that I've been evaluating my life a lot more than what I used to, okay? So like even like simple things like I know what hotel chains have the better mattresses, Right, it's Holiday Inn, and Courtyard has the better pillows. So if you could put those, if you could take a pillow, no, don't do that. But I also like things like I don't like to write with bad pens. Um, I don't know if that's you or not, but like I don't, I don't need a great pen. I, I just have my steady, you know, Pilot G2 and in blue ink, which I really enjoy. But just a ballpoint pen. Somebody came up to me after the first serve and said, "Here, try this one," and they gave me a pen. Um, so we'll see if I like something better. Because I'm not, I'm not, open. I'm not close to change. I actually really enjoy change. But I, I have, I've seen enough things, and I've seen enough bad things, and I'm like, I just don't want to waste my time with certain things anymore. And I've been, been evaluating. I have two teenage kids. Um, they're going to be like adults and out of the house before I know it, which is going to be crazy. So I'm thinking about, like, how am I uh, making an impact in people's lives? How am I making an impact in my family's life? How am I leading my family and pastoring my family? How do I do that well with the remaining years that... That I have. What am I going to invest in? What am I going to spend my time doing? What, what are the things that I'm going to be doing in order to make an impact in the world? And I, as we think about that, that's kind of the message of what, our, what we're going to be talking about today. And the, 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 the big idea is this, uh, the impact of your life is not determined by the length of your life. The impact of your life is not determined by the impact of your life. There we go. Wait a second. I'm going to say that again. The impact of your life is not determined by the length of your life. There we go. It's not determined by that because we think about people who, if that was true, then everybody who lived long would have this great impact, but that's not always true. Ernest Hemingway would say it this way. Every man's life ends the same way. It is only the details of how he lived and how he died that distinguishes one man from another. And we think about people who've had massive impacts on the world that, that didn't live long on this earth. People like Martin Luther King, or Anne Frank, or Mozart, or Princess Diana, or Jesus, right? Not people who didn't live super long on this earth and yet made a huge impact and today we're going to be talking about a man who made a massive impact on the world. His name's John the Baptist. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. And we're also going to see that his life was cut short because he stood up for what was right. And so we're going to be in Matthew, starting in chapter 14, uh, chapter 14 starting in verse 1 today. We're going to be picking up and transitioning to that. And uh, we're going to see that, that Jesus and John's ministries are tied together. We're going to see that throughout this. Verses 1 and 2. At that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard the fame of Jesus. And he said to his servants, this is John the Baptist. He has been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. So we have a guy named Herod the Tetrarch. Now, his the Tetrarch is not his last name. He is a he is a uh, a ruling official in the northern part of Israel, okay? So Israel's kind of a long strip. He's in the northern part of Galilee. These regions were called Tetrarchs. And so Herod the Tetrarch was in charge of the northern part of Israel. He's half Jewish. Um, he was appointed uh, by the Roman government to rule over the Israelites. So it wasn't... He wasn't the people's king. He wasn't the people's leader. He was appointed by uh, the oppressing nation at the time. His dad was a guy named Herod the Great, Um, Herod the Great, they called him the Great just because he built big things, but he was was a ruthless man. Um, Herod the Great actually was the one who killed all the baby boys in Bethlehem when Jesus was uh, an infant um, because he heard that Jesus was born and he heard that that was the Messiah and he was threatened by that would be a, a threat to his throne. And so instead of just trying to find Jesus, he just killed all the boys in Bethlehem. Like, really, really ruthless guy. That's Herod the Great. Herod the Tetrarch is his son, and we're going to see that the apple didn't fall far from the tree. Um, and actually, Herod the Tetrarch would, now, would also go on to play a very pivotal role in the crucifixion of Jesus. And so we're going to see him more often coming up. But Herod hears the words. uh, hears about the works of Jesus. Here's what's going on. And he hears about all these signs and wonders, and he believes that John the Baptist has come back from the dead, and because he's been resurrected, he now has special powers. And he's terrified. He's worried. The last we heard about John the Baptist, uh, we, we've heard about him and learned about him all throughout the book of Matthew. He's the one who baptized Jesus. He's a cousin of Jesus. Um, his job was to be the forerunner for Jesus, to announce the coming of Jesus. And, and, and last time we heard of John the Baptist, he was in prison. Uh, that's Matthew 11. He's in prison, and he sends his disciples to go talk to Jesus and say, hey, are you the one who's to come, or should we wait for another? And Jesus answers him and saying he's the fulfillment of the prophecy, basically saying, I am the one who's to come. And then that's the last time we heard about him. John's ministry was all about pointing people to Jesus. After John would baptize Jesus, he would would go on and still have his ministry. But Jesus' ministry starts to come to prominence. And John's disciples come up really worried to John and say, Hey, listen, you know that guy Jesus? Well, his ministry is getting bigger than yours. And it's more popular. And they're also baptizing people too over there. What should we do? And John's like, the whole point of my ministry is that Jesus must increase and I must decrease. The whole point of why I'm doing this is because Jesus is supposed to get bigger than me, and I must decrease. So that's that's what we know about John the Baptist. And, and here we see that now John is dead. How did he die? Well, we're gonna find out about that in the next few verses. And I'm just gonna give you a warning before we jump into that, and that's this: it's pretty gross. Okay? It's pretty gross. But it's the word of God, it's beneficial for us. And so let's begin. Verse three, for Herod had seized John and bound him and put him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. Because John had been saying to him, it's not lawful for you to have her. And though he wanted to put him to death, he feared the people because they held him to be a prophet. Okay, so that's kind of a, I'm just going to unpack that a little bit. What, you just, what we just read is something that you would probably see on an afternoon talk show, okay? It's really twisted, it's very Jerry Springer, it's really weird, right? This is what happened. Um, Herod arrested John, okay? And the reason why is because Herod had stolen his brother's wife, okay? Ew, also makes for very awkward holidays, right? And so Herod was married already, sees Philip, they get together, hang out, see, he sees Philip's wife, Herodias, and he's like, "I like her, kicks his wife out, steals his brother's wife, and now they're shacking up together. And John says, "You can't do that. You can't do that." You can't do that. It's not lawful for you to have her. This isn't how God designed things. This isn't how you, this is against the law. You can't do that. And because John publicly and boldly told Herod, you can't do that. He had him arrested and would have had him killed had the people not revered John so much. Okay. He would already would have been dead, but Herod fears the people. He fears the loss of face. He fears the loss of appearance not looking good. And he doesn't want to riot and stuff like that. So instead, he's just going to arrest him. So he arrests John because John pointed out that you can't take your brother's wife and have that go well for you. So he arrests him and would have had him killed, but for fear of the people because the people regarded John to be a prophet. And so we see this, that, 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 that John and Herod already have like this weird connection to each other, and that he was paranoid of what people would think of him, and that John is highly regarded. So he's in jail, and that's, where, that's why he was in jail in Matthew 11. That's why John was in jail. But it goes on, verse six. But when Herod's birthday came, the daughter of Herodias danced before the company and pleased Herod, so that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she might ask. Prompted by her mother, she said, give me the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And the king was sorry, but because of his oaths and his guests, he commanded it to be given. He sent And had John beheaded in the prison, and his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl, and she brought it to her mother. There's so much gross. So the first thing that we see is Herod's niece, right, the daughter of Herodias, that's Herod's niece. It's Herod's birthday, he's having a lavish party, he's spending a lot of attention on himself, he's doing all these things, and during the time, his, uh, the daughter of Herodias, Herod's niece, would do a dance for Herod and his guests. Now, many scholars believe that uh, Herodias' daughter at this time is probably somewhere around 12 or 13 years old. We don't know exactly what kind of dance this was but it's inferred that this dance was neither worshipful to the Lord nor moral, okay? It's about as far as like she danced for him and it pleased him, okay? So much so that in his lust, he he says, I'll give you whatever you want. I'll give you whatever you want. And this junior high girl goes and says, Mom, what should I ask for? And her mom says, You want know me nice? The head of John the Baptist on a platter. That's like really sick. That's really twisted, right? I mean, that, that's, that's a level of gross and nasty and sick and evil that most of us can't even possibly fathom. Because this is a request that was actually carried out. Maybe you've heard the phrase before, they put his head on a platter. That's where they get this. They get it from from the scriptures. And What happened is Herodias' daughter goes back to Herod and says, give me the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And Herod was like, I'm really sorry I said I'd give you whatever you want but because of my oath and the people around here, I'm going to do what you ask. Like, what kind of spineless person does that? Like, you make an oath, okay, I get it, but when someone comes back and makes a request like that, the hypocrisy that he's trying to be an honorable man by honoring his oath is laughable. But to say, he's like, oh, I guess my hands are tied. He wanted to kill him anyways, right? And so now here's his opportunity. Well, my hands are tied. I made an oath. You were the one who asked, so I guess this is what we're going to do. How about the answer to this being, uh, no, that's sick. Go tell your mom to go to therapy. Like, what (laughs) happened? Like, what happened? Give me the head of John the Baptist on a platter? A platter is something you serve food on. It's something that you serve dessert on, right? And what she wanted for dessert was her revenge. And she wanted the head of John the Baptist. And because of his oath, and because he didn't want to look bad in front of the people that was around him, because of his fear of man, he does something just vile. And he sends the executioner down to the prison and has John beheaded. And then they put it on a platter and bring it to the girl. And she brings it to her mother. This is how the man of God gets treated. He was a man who trusted In Jesus. He was a man who was doing what God wanted him to do. And this is the end of John's life. This is how it ends for him. Not what we think about, right? When we think about giving our lives to Jesus, not really what we're thinking about when we think about living for Jesus or maybe even dying for Jesus. And yet, this is what John the Baptist, this was his ending. He was doing what the Lord wanted him to do and it literally cost him his head. He made a way for the Messiah. He called for people to repent. But also in the middle of this, John is decreasing and Jesus is increasing. I must decrease, he must increase. And we see John going all the way to the end and he gives his life. He was arrested falsely. He was executed without trial. He was beheaded, which is one of the worst possible ways to kill somebody according to Jewish culture. And he died. But there's worse things than dying. There's worse things than dying. And John did what he was supposed to do, and he fulfilled his mission and then died. About 15, 16, 1,700 years later, there was a guy named Count Zinzendorf, and he would start a missionary movement. And their mantra was this preach the gospel, die, and be forgotten. That was the missionary movement. Preach the gospel, die, and be forgotten. Why? Because it was about Jesus, not about them. And for John, it was about Jesus and not about himself. And if we want to make a lasting impact in the world, we have to understand that we can't make it about us. So often we want to make an impact, but so often we want to be selfish, and that war's within us. But the reality is, is you cannot make a lasting impact if you're just constantly going to make things about us yourself. Oh, you'll be remembered for about a week, but you're not going to make any lasting impact making things about yourself. And John, John's ministry was never about him. And when Jesus walked up, he said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Verse 12. And his disciples came and took the body and buried it. And they went and told Jesus. So the disciples hear about it. They hear that John's been beheaded. They go to the prison. They find his body, but not his head. And they take what remains are left and they give John a proper burial. And they buried him. And then they went and they told Jesus. In the middle of their grief, in the middle of their confusion, in the middle of their fear, they went to Jesus. And I would say it would be wise for us to do the same. In the middle of our grief, in the middle of our fear, in the middle of our confusion, we can and should go to Jesus. We should go to Jesus. John and Jesus' ministries are intertwined. They're not in opposition to each other. When he said, I must decrease, Jesus must increase. His disciples then go to Jesus. And so John's ministry becomes fully complete because John's whole ministry was to point people to Jesus and now his disciples are going to Jesus. Jesus every disciple maker, every pastor, every leader worth their salt are going to point you to Jesus because the man goes in the ground, but the gospel goes forward. We would do well to go to Jesus. And John's ministry is complete. The hearts and the minds of his disciples are now completely turned to Jesus. They go to him. And John had a phenomenal impact in the world because the impact of your life is not determined by the length of your life. Jesus would say that John is the greatest man born among women, that his ministry was incredible and necessary. And John was willing to do what was right even though it cost him even though it cost him. Herod, on the other hand, Herod actually would go on and live a long life. And you're like, well, how's that fair? John is now with Jesus. Herod is separated from God. And Herod, Herod's life was long, but it was filled with paranoia. It was it was. Filled with fear. He came to power illegitimately. He ruled as a tyrant. Um, historians would tell us this, is that um, after he kicked his wife out, his first wife, um, that was a political marriage. He married the daughter of the neighboring king. And so uh, when he kicked his ex, uh, his ex out, when he, when he kicked out his first wife, and she went back to dad, dad was none too happy. And so dad wages war against Herod. Okay, like literally wages war. Comes with his army and routs and decimates Herod's army in AD thirty six. So bad was the was the was the fighting, and so bad was he being routed that that the Roman army actually had to step in to to defeat the neighboring king. Like it was they it was so bad. Herod was losing horribly. And the Roman army had to step in. And because they did, uh, Herod's nephew took that opportunity and said, hey, you know what, my uncle doesn't, doesn't govern really well, and obviously he can't win a battle. And the Roman army is like, and the governors and the Caesars are like, yeah, you know what, you're right. Let's get Herod out of here and let's put you in. So they did. They kick out Herod uh, the Tetrarch, and they put in uh, his nephew, who conspired against him, a guy named Agrippa, and you're going to read about him in the book of Acts. And so Agrippa comes to power, Herod dies in exile, alone, unsung, unhonored. We remember Herod, not because he's famous, but because he's infamous. And my prayer is that you would follow Jesus and that you would understand his ways are better, that you would submit your life to the better king, and that you would stop chasing after Herod. You would stop chasing after Herod's ways of getting power by any means necessary, about making the whole world about yourself, about being so self-absorbed and living in reckless disregard to Jesus. My hope and prayer is that if you're on that road, that you would repent. That means turn around. You're going the wrong way. And so if that's you today and you realize that you are on the road to Herod, that you would turn around and walk towards Jesus, that you would repent and believe. John took the road to Jesus and he lost his head. I heard a pastor by the name of Crawford Lorette say it this way. John preached the gospel or John preached about Jesus and he lost his head. But he's got it back now. He's in heaven. He's in glory with, with the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And my hope and prayer is that you would put your trust in Jesus, that you would recognize that he's king of the universe, that we're sinners, that he came and lived this life perfectly, that he died on a cross for your and my sins, that he rose from the dead to give eternal life, and to put all, anybody who put their trust in him would have eternal life and be with him forever. That is my hope and prayer. Stop chasing the ways of Herod and start chasing after Jesus. In a moment, we're going to see a baptism here. And you're going to hear the public declaration of someone giving their life to Jesus. And if you're here today, you can hear the story and hear what's going on. But I also want you to know this, that if you're here today and you're in this room or you're watching online or you're over on screen or wherever it is you're watching this, that if you're watching this, you're not too far gone. You're not so far gone that Jesus can't rescue you. You're not so far gone. You're like, but you don't know what I've done. You're right, I don't, but Jesus does. And the cross is sufficient to cover your sins. All of them. And by putting our trust in Jesus, we can have eternal life. And you're not too far gone. But what you need to do is turn around turn around and trust in Jesus and then so you will gain peace with God and eternal life let's pray Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for today. I thank you for this opportunity to gather here around your word. God, I thank you so much for for John the Baptist and his boldness. God, but we don't put our trust in John the Baptist. He died, but not for our sins. We put our trust in Jesus who lived a life perfectly and died on the cross in our place. And God, I pray today that for those getting baptized today, I pray, God, that they would be bold in their proclamation today and every day. And I pray that each and every one of us will be bold today and every day. No matter the cost, because no matter what the cost is, the reward is eternal life with you. And I pray that all of us would understand that in this life, We must decrease, and Jesus must increase. That we don't make it about ourselves. We don't need to wallow in the dirt, but we make it about you. And when Jesus increases, it pushes all the self-absorbed, all the sin, those things, it pushes them out. God, would you increase in each of our lives? In Jesus' mighty name we pray, amen.